Hey, good morning, Mount Ararat. Or should I say happy summer, Mount Ararat? Hey, listen, if you're a student, don't blink because summer will be over quick, but we're in it right now. We're in it right now. We definitely want to enjoy these days that we find ourselves in. Hey, welcome Stafford campus. Welcome our Fredericksburg campus, Pastor Andrew down there, and welcome to all of you watching online. Uh, We're in the middle of a very fun summer series called Drop the Mic. Now, listen, if you're online, you miss out on something today because if you're at Stafford at Fredericksburg, today we've set the table. Uh, We're going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the communion elements of the bread and the cup, and we're going to do that at the conclusion of the message today, and I'm so grateful that you're physically here today to be able to share in that time of remembrance for us. Listen, every few months we take this Lord's table, and we do it because in Scripture, Jesus said, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And every time we take this bread and cup, it forces us to examine, where am I in my relationship with Jesus? And what we're declaring to be true as we take this bread and cup, we're declaring that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And what we're also seeing is, is our greatest identity is found in a right relationship with him. Amen? And so it's kind of this idea of, we say this a lot here at this church, but when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And so I think it's important for us to be reminded that our greatest, come on, Christians, our greatest identity is found in a relationship with Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, what a Sunday for you to come and to experience the love and mercy and grace that's found in Jesus. What if today could be your day of taking a step of faith and later today as we take this elements of communion, you can take it for the first time and it means something to you because of your relationship with Christ. And so we just believe that today. Now, because we're a church that's big but also small, can I just ask you to join me in praying for a family, very dish, uh, very dear family to our church. Many of y'all, we've been praying for Mr. Sam Work for this last 10 months. He fell off a ladder in Aquia Harbor, and he had a head injury about 10 months ago. And we've been praying and praying and praying for God to heal him physically. God decided to answer the prayer by healing him ultimately. Uh, he passed away this past week, and I want you to pray especially for Marsha. Uh, she journeys back home to Pennsylvania to have services there, burial there, and then she's going to come back in the next few weeks into July, and we're going to celebrate his life here at our church at Mount Aaron. We'll give you more details in the coming days, but pray for Marsha. Um, this is not the, the, the answer she was looking for, but she trusts God even in these days. And so uh, it's just important for us to be reminded that we are a family, right, church? We are a family, and we walk together in these moments together. Now, with that, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Proverbs. Uh, this summer, we are in a Proverbs series, which is an interesting book to preach from. Proverbs is so topical as God uh, inspires King Solomon to write these words of wisdom. It's like you go from one verse to the next, to one chapter to the next, and it's like all over the map. But if you want to get a theme, Proverbs is how to live for the one and only God in our daily lives. And so it's very practical of how to live life as, as families, how to live life as parents. It gives us direction for our lives and even how to build friendships. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks down the road. This idea of purity is important to it. And also this idea of future. How do we live for God in our futures? And so as we kind of unpack some of these one-verse sermons, I hope that God can use these messages to inspire you to get in the Word of God every day by being a reader of Scripture, 
Uh, and also, it will inspire us to continue to live our lives daily for the one true God. Now, if you have your Bibles there, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 11. And today we're going to look at this one verse sermon. But before we do, I want to ask you some ideas of can you imagine? Now, uh, I thought it was affectionate just a minute ago. I was walking through the halls and this little guy came up to me and goes, Hey, Pastor. Hey, Pastor. It's great to see you today. Pastor, I love your shirt. You look like Woody off Toy Story. So (laughs) this will be the last Sunday I wear this shirt on Sunday. But that's the humility out of the mouths of babes. Amen. Yeah. So here we go. Can you imagine if you were the richest person on planet Earth? Come on. What if you could just for a year of your life make so much money that you never had to wait for anything you wanted and you never had to worry financially about anything because you had enough resources to take care of it all? What if you imagine that? Come on, can you imagine with me today? Can you? Now, what if you imagine this? You could have so much money that you could finally live in that dream house in that location that you always desired it to be, right? And not only that, you had a fleet of luxury cars to pick what day of the week you want to drive what car. Can you imagine? Are you with me? Some of you, you could get there quick, couldn't you? How many of you, and you imagine you're so rich you had a chef, and every day they would make you an omelet before you left for work. Or maybe you're more of a pancake person, right? And then at the end of the day, you would arrive back. Come on, come on, men and women. You don't have to cook because that four-star chef's going to have it on the table for you right on time. Could, could you imagine? And if you're so wealthy, you would never have to get stuck in traffic. Why? Because you would just jump in your helicopter or your jet and you would always, you would always just get exactly. Come on, if you had more money, wouldn't that just make life that much more easy? Wouldn't that make life better? Well, listen, if you could be the richest person, how would you live? What would you do? We can do this today. Let's interview somebody that is at one time the richest person on planet Earth. You might not know this, but 3,000 years ago, there was a guy named King Solomon, and he was that particular guy. They said he was so rich that when you read in 1 Kings that, that he had so much money that his personal surplus it actually devalued silver for a generation of people because he had that much stuff. One pastor said this about Solomon. Solomon was, was globally renowned on botany, history, philosophy, architecture, music, art, astronomy. They said that He said that Solomon was like Benjamin Franklin, Warren Buffett, and Albert Einstein all stapled together. And then if you throw in Caligula in there, because he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. If you don't know what that means, kids, today you got a good question for dad. (laughs) You're welcome. Listen, if Solomon proved anything, it's this. It's proof that you can have wisdom and still live dumb. Isn't that good? But you know what Solomon does for us, though, in gaining wisdom from God? He tries everything under the sun, and he tries to weigh it all out to see if he can find satisfaction in everything under the sun. He had fame. He had power. He had incredible wealth. And then at the end of his days, he wrote some words to help us to see the conclusion to what he found to be right and true. 
And so we get this book of Proverbs that's about the daily way to live for God, but we get this book of Ecclesiastes, which is his book of conclusion of what's it all worth and his concluding answer to having the richest man on planet earth was this, that it's all what? Meaningless. Come on, isn't that sad to think that he tries it all and he comes to the conclusion when you try to find your worth and satisfaction in this world in stuff, it all comes up to be meaningless. Now, as soon as some of you are hearing that, you're thinking in your head and your heart, I could do better than Solomon. <laughs> right now, somebody's thinking, God, give me a chance. Give me all that wealth. Give me all that power. Give me all that influence. And I promise you, God, I'll be happy. I promise you, God, I'll make a difference. Come on, would you like to try? Come on, test me, God. Give me all that money. Let's see if I can actually fulfill all my dreams, right? And yet, even in this theme today, I believe God wants to speak to us. So can I ask you this, or at least say this to you, before, come on, Fredericksburg, before we ask God for more, what if God turns back around and says, what, what are you doing with what you already have? Because what you already have and how you handle it now probably has a good indicator of what you'll do with more. So he gives us some instructions here. And he gives us some wisdoms here, right here. He drops it on us right here in Proverbs chapter 11. Come on, listen to this, verse 25. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Come on, say out loud with me, drop the mic. Isn't that a good one verse sermon right there? And there's so much packed up in this one little verse. And what Solomon's trying to show us is the right way to approach money and things is generosity. Is generosity. Today he's going to teach us about the principle of generosity. Now, if I were to ask you today, who's the most generous person you know? Who's the most generous person you've ever met? Come on, who comes to your mind? Who is it? Is it somebody that's in your family? Is it somebody that's just a friend or a neighbor or maybe a coworker or a boss? Who's the most generous person when you think about generosity? Maybe the flip of it is this. Who's the most greedy person you've ever met? Come on, is that easier? Somebody that's kind of selfish and stingy and holds back and they could do so much but they don't. Come on, generous and, and greedy. That's the extremes, right? Can I tell you what's the difference between a generous person and a greedy person? It's an emotion, and you know what the emotion is? It's called fear. Did y'all know that? That the difference between someone who's generous and someone who's greedy is someone who lives in fear. Fear, I don't have enough. Fear, right, that, that I don't have enough and, and I'm going to run out. Or fear that somebody's going to take what's mine, right? This idea of fear is alive and well. And, and yet, yet, even as we think about the person that we know for this and for that, what are you known for? What am I known for? How, how do people know you and me? Would people see you as generous? Would they see me as generous? Would they see you as greedy? Would they see me as greedy? Because our relationship with things is going to give us a reputation, whether we like it or not. And so Solomon is trying to help the people then, and God is trying to help the people now to hear what he has to say to us. Now, these are interesting words that King Solomon uses. So I want to unpack these words because there's so much packed in them. 
Now, in the NIV, it says this. It says, the generous person will prosper. Now, that word generous person is not the full definition of what that word is. The word nefesh actually in the literal Hebrew language means soul. So it really means the generous soul is the one who prospers. Now, I think that's interesting because money and generosity doesn't have as much to do with money and giving as you think. It has more to do with your heart. And Solomon says it's actually deeper than that. It has to do with your soul. When you're willing to give, when you're willing to be generous, it has everything to do with what you're holding on to for what you're believing in the most. It's this idea of soul stuff. And so he's trying to help us to see this. Solomon is also showing us something that when someone gives... And when someone shares with others, you actually will be blessed. When you give and you share, you will be blessed. Now, later in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9, he says this. He says, the generous will themselves be blessed. Again, generosity leads to blessing for their food because they share their food with those in need. They share their food with the poor. Now, in this verse that we're unpacking today, the metaphor that he continues to describe of generosity is a word picture. It's a word picture of an artisan jar, a stone jar that would pour out, that would pour out water. And what he's referring to here is not just a jar of water, but a well. And he's saying this, that when you're willing to be generous and to pour water into other people's gardens, it's this picture of I'm going to pour here, here, and here, and I'm going to be a blessing to these people around me, and I'm not going to run out of what I need as I continue to share with others. Now, where this gets interesting is this, is that in the, the day that Solomon's writing these words, one of the highest agriculture commodities of their day is what? Water. And it would be very easy for people to live with a scarcity mindset about water. Because the last thing you wanted to have is the season of drought where you can't what? You can't continue to grow your crops. Water was an extreme commodity. Are you with me? And so this idea of not having enough was a real fear that people lived in. And yet that's the, that's the place where Solomon pushes against. Now, let's bring it into our world. He's talking about how we hold on to earthly treasures, money. And he says that scarcity mindset is just as tempting in our day with our idea of money as their day with water. And I don't know about you, but there are many of us that struggle with a scarcity mindset. And it's a fear mindset when it comes to the things of this earth. Now, let's just look at the verse again. I want you to see it again. This idea of the generous person will prosper. Now that word prosper actually gives us a picture and it gives the word of being fat, of being uh, abundant in supplies, of being prosperous, this idea of being full and fulfilled. And then he says this, the one who refreshes others is the one who's going to find themselves at peace and refreshed and fulfilled. It's, it's, it's interesting, the language, the imagery of what he uses. Because this idea of giving money is always a fear of not having enough. This fear of running out. Yet generosity leads to an opposite effect. Now today what I want to do in the few minutes that I have left before we take the bread and the cup at both campuses is, is this. I want to share with you, if, we'll, if we're willing to pour from the jar of generosity, what comes out of a jar like that. 
Now, as we talk about the first pouring out, I want you to see it this way. Because what comes out of the jar of generosity, it tells us this, is that, it's that faith, faith is going gonna, is gonna to override fear. Faith over fear. Faith over fear. God wants us to get this image, this picture of faith being bigger and greater than fear. Yet fear, boy, it sure does show up and say a whole lot to us, doesn't it? And here's what fear is going to tell us in relationship to things. It's going to say this. It's going to say, number one, I don't have enough. And then number two, behind that, it's going to say, others have more. Isn't that interesting? Fear is going to make you play on insecurity. And fear is also going to play on comparison. I don't have enough and others have more. That's what fear is telling you. And yet Solomon says, don't let fear rule your heart and your life. Let faith, faith is bigger than fear. And he's calling us to what generous is inviting us into. It's a life of faith. Can I tell you this? It takes faith to give. It takes faith to give to God first. It takes faith to give to others. It takes faith to be generous. And God has given us the practice of giving to keep calling and inviting us into faith. Now, if we just jump up one verse above this and go to verse 24 in Proverbs 11, look at what it says here. It says, one person gives freely and gains even more. And another person holds back and it becomes poverty. So it's this theme of you can give and gain or you can what? You can hold and lose. <laughs> you can give and gain or you can hold and lose. But you know what I know this is when you're feeling fear, when you're feeling fear, giving to God first, giving to others next is scary stuff. It is scary to be generous, but yet it holds back and we hold money back. And when you hold money back, money begins to hold onto you. I wonder how many of us will be honest today to say even talking about money creates an emotion within us, within us. And maybe the emotion is anger, like, oh, why are we talking about this at church? Or maybe the emotion is fear of, man, I'm right now in a tough spot financially. What kind of hold, what kind of pressure does money have over you? You see, this idea of giving, it takes faith, but giving and sharing with others will always loosen the hold that money has on us. Now, here's where it gets tricky in a church like ours. As we're reaching wide and, and visiting people coming and people down at Fredericksburg coming, listen, I, I want you to know this. Our church right here, we do not preach a prosperity gospel. A prosperity gospel is a belief that if I do certain things the right way, God has to bless, has to do. And it's this idea of giving to get. And I just, I just think there's real danger when we start using God, right? And so we don't talk about prosperity gospel. But I think sometimes we push away from the promises that God does say that we can be blessed if we trust him first. Because there is blessing that is ours as believers. And I think because we have seen so much abuse in this message that we push too hard the other way and we rob what a person and what a church could experience because we're afraid to talk about the good that comes from when we believe and trust God the most. And so I want to say it this way because, because even Solomon says this way. He says, when we get, he says, he says that we're going to get when we give, we just don't give to get. Does that make sense? Come on, I'm wearing Woody's shirt. Here we go. Let me say it again. <laughs> we get when we give, but we don't give to get. That isn't our motivation. Our motivation is to seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. 
There's a trust that we're talking about here. But I do believe God does bless. I do believe God does fulfill. And, and, and God wants us to see this. Now, not just in Old Testament. Let's go to New Testament here. Look at what Paul says, something very similar that Solomon writes down. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also what? Reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should decide what you, in your heart what to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And see, God is able, here it is, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, and you will abound in every good Work. Come on, is that not a good word today? Out of generosity, out of the jars of generosity, God's trying to show us faith over fear. Now here we go. Let's look at the second thing that's flowing out of here. This is key. Come on. Gratitude over a bad attitude. Come on, that's a message for every parent this summer. Right here, right here. Come on. Come on. You grateful kid, you ungrateful kid, right? Yeah. Come on, here we go. Pour it out. Pour out generosity. Gratitude over what? A bad attitude. Now, here's what I know to be true. When money is in the wrong position in our lives, it will lead us to stress, and stress will always lead us to a bad attitude. A few weeks ago, I talked about this idea of what's the position that money has in your life. Because, see, money always wants to sit in a seat that it doesn't belong in. And what our culture has told us is that there's three things that define our life. It's that money tells us if we're successful or not. It always wants to sit in that seat. Money wants to tell us if we're secure or not in our lives. It'll want to sit in that seat. Or money will want to sit in the seat of satisfaction. Come on, just like Solomon realized. It'll try to tell you only in me can you be satisfied. Can I tell you, when you let money have that position in any of these seats, you will feel stress and you will feel fear and you will be unfulfilled all the time. The only way you battle that is to realize that I got to choose gratitude over a fearful attitude. I've got to begin to see the right order of what God wants for me. Now, let me kind of do it this way, both campuses. Come on, real quick. If I were to give you three parts and try to say, help me do the priority thing, I, I think you can all do it and it'll be really easy to see. But if I were to tell you, let's give you three words. Let's say people, let's say money, and let's say God. And I'm going to say, how do you put these and rank these in order of importance? Come on. It would be pretty easy for us to do this, right? Number one on the list is Oh, good answer, good answer, right? We, we, we know this to be true, yet to live it sometimes is harder. Is God first? But see, even in ordering something like these three things in our life, putting them in the right order, can I show you what putting them in the wrong order can do to your life and my life really quick? Because do you know that whatever you put first is what you're going to worship or who you're going to worship? Whatever you put right behind that is what you're going to or who you're going to love. And then what you put third is what you're going to use. D does this make sense? So here we go again. Our three things on the list. Let's just think about this for a second. Come on. What's supposed to come first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good answer. I heard that, Fredericksburg, right there. Yep, God, right? We put God first. That means we worship him over everything. 
We trust him over everything. Come on, we want him to be Lord of our lives. That's the only seat he wants to sit in. He wants to be your savior, but he wants to be your Lord, right? All right, right behind that, God's called us to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself, right? We want to put people right behind God because God's called us to care about our brother and sister, to care about our neighbor, to care about those around us, right? So this idea of of us connecting with the Lord in a right way and then us living it out in a relational way with people around us. Come on, we get this. This is the right thing. And then here's the best part. Guess what? God blesses our lives with material things and he gives us direction that that money that he's trusted us with, now we get to what? We get to use it. We get to use it. What does that mean? It means we get to decide what we do. We get to give, we get to save, we get to invest, we get to spend, we get to enjoy what God has given to us. Come on, we have been saving all year because we're about to go on vacation and we get to use God's blessing to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as I what? As I have it in the right order. But here's where this thing gets all twisted up. We put things in the wrong order And we don't live out the truth of what Solomon's trying to call us into. And what's sad to say is we end up putting money here or we put money here. Now, can I just show you something real quick? When you're all about worshiping money and you're all in love with your things, can I tell you there's only one thing to do with God and one thing to do with people, and it's to what? It's to what? It's to use them. It's to use God to get what I want. It's to use people to get what I want. And now you've prioritized that things of this earth matter more than God and people. Can I get you logically there so we can get there spiritually? Because then when we start to evaluate, come on, does does money have a hold on me? We can begin to ask the question, is it in the wrong order? Am I looking for money to tell me something about myself that God wants to tell me about myself? You see, this order is key to how we live. And I'm here to tell you, when we put it in the wrong order, we will live fearful and unfulfilled. You don't believe me. Here we go. Let's ask the richest man again. Ecclesiastes, Paul, actually, uh, King Solomon writes this about finding satisfaction in money. Chapter 5, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Here's what he says when you put it in the wrong order. He says, whoever loves money never has what? Enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You see, this too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Now, the reverse is the person, it says the sleep of the laborer, someone that works hard for what they get, the the laborer is sweet whether they eat a little bit or much. But for the rich... The rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth that is hoarded, it harms the owners. Or wealth that is lost, some misfortune. Now they don't have anything. Their children have nothing left to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb and everybody's going to leave the same way, right? They take nothing from their toil and they can carry in their hands. Come on. Naked we came into the world and naked we're going to depart, right? And, and the things of this earth are to be used here on this earth. But when we get the order wrong, guess what happens? We get the order wrong, life becomes 
meaningless. Come on, happy summer, everybody. Right? We begin to see what God's trying to free us from, and Solomon's trying to give us wisdom right here in this, and this idea of what's being poured out. Come on, is gratitude being poured out, or is bad attitude coming out? The order determines that. Here we go. Last jar. Let's just keep emptying that generosity out. Here we go. Contentment over resentment. Contentment over resentment. Do you know this, that the progression of unchecked fear leads to jealousy, and jealousy will lead to resentment. Do you know that jealousy, when it leads to resentment, has no bounds? begins to rule and reign over us. It has the power to sour attitudes and begin to change the way we see categories of people because we get stuck in fear. We don't have enough and others have more. And we start to see people differently. Come on, y'all know this to be true. Right now, you don't think of yourself as a judgmental person, but if I were to ask you privately, how do you feel about rich people? You might tell me a few things. How do you see supermodels? What's your opinion there? How do you see bodybuilders? Right? How do you see stay-at-home moms? How do you see working women in the professional world? How do you see doctors? How do you see lawyers? How do you see car salesmen? How do you see preachers? How do you see people that don't have a job? What do you think about them? What do you say about them, right? Isn't it interesting that, that we don't even realize sometimes when we begin to slide into this resentment where we start judging and sizing everybody else up around us and it's all based on not a generous spirit, but on a what? On a restrictive spirit. And you know, we don't have it fair. We've got something in our day that we didn't even have five or 10 years ago. We got social media. And if it's done nothing to our generation, you know what it does? It's the constant comparison all the time. Guess what? Guess what I got to do? Guess what you got to do when we get on our, our Instagram and our Facebook? Come on. When we get into our, our, our Snapchat worlds, when we get on our Twitter, you know what we got to do? I got I to gotta one-up you and I got to make my life look more fulfilling than your life. I got to show you what I ate last night, and you got to look at what you ate last night, right? And then I got to I got to show you the pictures of my vacation and how perfect my kids are at, because I got to I got to one up. Listen, this comparison game can only lead one place to resentment, and it is not what God designed us to be, and yet we are unwilling to practice this way of generosity because we live in a constant state of fear of I don't have enough and someone's got more. You want to combat that? Start to give to God. Start to give to others. And you begin to get free of, of this hold of what the world wants to have over you and over me. It is too easy to compare and it is too easy to get discontent. And so what if we just simply put our arms around the things that, that we're frustrated about and go, well, praise God, I at least have that. How do we find contentment in the everyday things? Come on, I can get up here and I can joke about our car issues right now and that dad gots to get, I get to drive, I get, I get to drive a 10-year-old minivan. Praise God, I got a car, right? 
Praise God I got a car that works right now today. Listen, can I get content? Can I get content? Come on, we got to find some contentment in what we do have. Listen, would you just put your arms around that little small house you have? Because at least you have a house. You have a place. To, like, come on, that, that dining room table that was donated that you're still eating off of. And you go, oh man, how long we going to eat all this? Day? Listen, you got a table that you get to put food on and get to eat there on a regular basis. Can we just say, praise God, God is blessing our family, blessing our lives. Can we? But we see we struggle with contentment. We struggle. Come on, we struggle looking at that 27-inch TV because I just went to my neighbors and they've got the biggest screen, right? We struggle. We struggle celebrating because we look at what we don't have. Come on to the person in the room. That is your waist size. It is. And that is your hair or the lack of hair. Come on. Stop complaining you're bald. Stop complaining you got kinky hair. That doesn't do what you want it to do. Listen, there's people that don't have any hair. Listen, we got to be content. We got to find how we can be content or we'll turn into resent. And I think so many of us are getting lost in the damage of resentment. And yet, here's Solomon saying, you want to live, then you got to live in a way that gives even when you're afraid. And you got to be generous. The antidote's the same in this day and age as it is now. Listen, you can sit back and look at your health versus others. You can sit back and look at your poor SAT scores to others. Listen, it's time to, to be content, but it's also time to, to move into a generous posture. And we always have more than we give ourselves credit for. And it's time to start realizing we give from what we already have. And if you're able to give, praise God, you've got something to give. I love when Paul's discipling young Timothy, he even tells him this theme of contentment. And I want you to see this. Come on. Both campuses see this. Look at this. He says this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, but godliness with contentment leads to what? Great gain. Come on. Godliness with contentment leads to great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, right? Nothing, nothing's going to take out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. For the love of money, come on, not money, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered away from their faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Come on, drop the mic right there. Isn't that true? I think about how many hurts and heartaches have I experienced because of chasing after the things that aren't going to last when it's all said and done. You know, as I was thinking about this message and how it applies to the person here today, the person at Fredericksburg, the person online today, I thought about how it also applies to us as a church. I remember vividly, I was probably three years into being the lead pastor here at this church, and, and I led our church to make a pretty aggressive decision. We were trying to incrementally get to a, a greater giving outside the walls, and we couldn't get there. And so I declared in front of our church that from this day forward, we were going to make sure that every year we would tithe on whatever was brought in for offerings and tithes. And then if we did a capital campaign, we would always give the first fruits, the first 10% outside the walls of this church. 
Now, even declaring that and now having to live with that was scary business because we didn't know what it would cost us, what we would have to cut to do that. But I'm here to tell you that decision was a game changer for Mount Ararat. And here we are all these years removed, and this year we have leveraged about $550,000 to go outside these walls to let people know locally, nationally, and, and globally that Jesus is Lord. And, and we want them to know that this church is going to keep working and keep tirelessly working towards generosity because we believe a generous church is making a difference in the world that God's called us to be. And then in addition to that, we have given another 180000 towards For the One. For the one is leveraging us to go down to Fredericksburg and to start the campus that we now have live down there. Do y'all know in three months of being a church down there, 17 people have heard the good news and started a relationship with Jesus Christ because of your giving. Listen, there's something about that. Now, what, what, is that, what does that mean? That means that God's leading us to be generous, to think about how we can love our neighbors right here among us. What I love about that $550,000 outside the walls, I love it because about $40,000 we leverage for people in crisis in our area. People that, that are in tough spots that we might have to pay a month of rent or we might have to uh, help a light bill or we might have to help with food or help with gas or whatever minimal thing that we can begin to show people that they're cared for. I love that we have ministry partners like Serve, that's the local food bank. I love that we have the Brisbane Homeless Shelter that is meeting people in crisis and helping families transition out of homelessness back into stability again. I love that we help Micah Ministries that helps people begin to get jobs and to get out of living on the streets. I love FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I love that we give to Young Life. I love that we give to Compassion Restoration that helps in multiple ways to help people to begin to help themselves. I love that we help with Stafford Junction and Hope House and, and even the local Rappahannock Jail here and even our local schools because we want the world to know that Jesus is Lord and we want them to meet a God that's generous now, as we do these things, I, I want us to continue to be generous people because I think it translates into being a generous church. And I think that's what God has awakened us and called us to be. Now, with that being said, I want at both campuses our, our deacons to help us. We're going to take the elements of the Lord's table. And I want our worship teams at both campuses to come back out. And in, and in a minute, Andrew, I'm going to give it over to you at your campus that you can lead. But before we do that, I want to read a few more verses just to kind of lead our hearts in because I think God's saying something to us here that I want us to all kind of share together. Today, you might be here and you call yourself a Christian and God's word is evaluating right now and leading you to love you enough to give you truth and grace in this moment. Somebody's here today, though, that's not a believer, and I just believe God brought you here for a purpose. It's to begin something brand new today with him. Let me declare some things to you from Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 8. Look what it says here. It says, but since you excel in everything, come on church, you excel in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness, and you also in the love that you have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, come on, one day Jesus lived in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor. He came down here to earth so that through his poverty, you and I might become rich. Come on, is that not good news today? God has made a way for us to be rich in him. Now let's just say it again this way because I want to make sure we get this right order. And so both campuses, let's just say it again this way. I want you to see it. Worship God, love people, use money. Come on, say that with me, both campuses, real quick. Here we go. Worship God, love people, use money. Again. It's the right order, right? And then there's three things that pour out of the jar of generosity. Let me show this to you again so we can kind of be reminded. Faith over fear, gratitude over bad attitude, and contentment over resentment. Come on, these are freeing things for us as children of God. And what I love about the scriptures here, before I give this over to you, Pastor Andrew, is, is that we get to see how incredible God's love is for us. And so today here at Stafford, I'm going to lead us in a time of communion. Right now, come on, sign off, Pastor. You go ahead and take it over there down at Fredericksburg. And let's just kind of celebrate what God is saying to us right here in this moment. Listen, church. God didn't just tell us and teach us about giving. He showed us. John 3, 16, come on, you know the words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, right? We get it, we get it, we get it. God gave. God, a good God, a good father, he gave a generous gift. His generous gift is Jesus. Why? So that we might believe and receive and we might live generous lives too. I love this truth. I love this truth. Jesus once said, I am the bread of life. Come on, take and eat, right? Jesus to the woman at the well said, I am living water. He who drinks from me will never what? Thirst again. Come on, you don't have to be afraid anymore. It ain't gonna run out. This is forever and ever and ever and ever. Come on, he's saying, would you come and believe and receive? I believe today God's brought somebody here by design. He created a whole service today to show you how much he loves you. And God says, I love you so much, I gave you Jesus, my perfect son that lived a sinless life, that died a sinner's death and rose again. Why? So that you could experience the generous love of the Father. Once you accept Jesus into your life, He is now freeing you to live in a way that's gonna make a difference for the kingdom of God. God has called the church to be generous. How are we gonna live individually? How are we gonna live collectively? That's the question today. Today, we're gonna take this bread and cup in a moment. And, and here it is. If you're not a member of our church and you're asking, can I partake today? I would simply tell you today, our table is an open table. There's only one thing required of you. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you're a parent here today and you've got a young child with you, we're gonna trust you as a parent to know if your kid has come to a place of understanding in their head and their heart, if they put their faith and trust in Jesus, then you as a parent, absolutely lead them to take part with this. If you're not sure yet, if they're not sure yet, what a teaching moment for them to sit back and just to simply watch and for you to have further time to explain 
your faith and your belief based on scripture and what God said to you. But this is for us today to see again what a good, generous father has done for us. But before we take it and pass this out, I wanna ask you a question. Do you have Jesus living in you? Are you living for him? Come on, would you bow your heads and your hearts right here for me? Even online. Father God, I wanna pray for somebody right now that you're knocking on the door of their heart. And right now today is going to be a beginning step of faith where they're gonna trust you, Jesus, to be their Lord and Savior. Come on, am I talking to you right now? Am I talking to you right now? Come on, don't be afraid. Right now, you're gonna open your heart and by opening your mouth and confessing Jesus Christ as Lord over you. If you wanna become a Christian, if you wanna begin, I wanna give you that moment right here today. Come on, right there where you're seated, even online. Would you just talk to God? Tell him this, say, God, you're speaking to me. This sermon was for me. I realize I need Jesus to come into my life, to forgive me of my sin. And now God, I'm committed to living for you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for saving me. Praise God. With your head bowed, your eyes closed, I wanna say welcome to the family. And in a moment, as these trays come by, I wanna invite you to take that little symbol of bread, that little symbol of that little cup of juice, and I want you to hold on to it. And today, when everybody has been served, we're gonna take these elements today in remembrance of who Jesus is. Today, God did something in your heart that's gonna be forever. And today, when you take this communion table, it's gonna mean something to you because you have received the grace that's found in Jesus alone. Father God, use this time of communion to lead us to your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Hey, one more disclaimer today. A few months ago, some people shared that they're gluten allergy. And so we actually have some gluten wafers that uh, one of my ushers can bring to you if you need that help today. So you don't have to sit back and not take part today in communion. So you let one of our deacons know if you need that today and we'll help you with that. But let's just lean into this moment as we sing this song of praise, as everybody's being served. And once everybody's been served today, if you wanna take part with us today, we're gonna take this bread and cup together.